I'm going to read uh, a section of scripture to you, but I'm not going to tell you where it is uh, right away. I will eventually. I just don't want you reading ahead and cheating. Um, <laughs> it gets kind of heavy at the beginning, but uh, it, it needs to be s- for us to see something. So uh, this is uh, one of the prophets speaking about his uh, people, Israel. And it says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey. So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. But now thus says the Lord. I don't know about you, uh, This is not a flattering description of Israel. (laughs) God has called them blind, inattentive, falling short of what God wants for them, defeated, in bondage, sinfully disobedient. This prophet happens to be Isaiah. And Isaiah said that God disciplined them, but they didn't understand it. They didn't take heed or, or change His discipline did nothing. Probably worst of all, there was no one to rescue or to say restore. There was no one inside Israel. No one inside Israel was in a place of faith uh, or understanding enough to stand up and be a deliverer like in the days of David or in the days of the judges. And no one outside of Israel cared about them enough to rescue them. So there was no one inside enough to be awake and in faith, to deliver. There was no one outside of them that cared enough to rescue them. That's a really bad place to be, really sad place to be. If we were describing somebody this way, uh, this would be a description of somebody I would give up on, I would want to give up on. I don't know about you, prideful, stubborn, not caring, not understanding, not listening to what you're saying, not taking any of your advice, not changing, not repenting. I mean, eventually you'd be like, forget it. I'm done. My words mean nothing to you. (laughs) I'm over it. Right? I don't know about you, but that would be me. It'd be frustrating. Um, How would you respond to someone like this? How would you respond? How do you think God would respond? Or does respond. 
some of you, uh, how are you responding to yourself when you mess up or don't feel like you're living up to the standard that you should? There are some of us have really negative self-talk, uh, especially when we mess up or when we fail or when we're having strife or conflict and we keep doing something over and over and over. We have really negative self-talk. And we actually give this description of Israel basically to ourselves. Oh, such a mess up. You did it again. Such a screw up. You know, and, and we talk negatively about ourselves. And uh, so how are we treating ourselves? How do we respond to ourselves in the midst of our failure? What's our self-talk? So uh, many of you may not be in this place where your self-assessment um, is this negative, but you either know someone who does or you are called to minister to someone who does. Or you will meet somebody whose self-talk is this negative, whose opinion of themselves is this negative. Most people who are suffering from depression or maybe trapped in addiction because of loss of hope, their self-talk is described in one of the verses that we read. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to, to say restore. That's the mindset of many of us when we get into hopelessness and depression or people that you minister to or people that you meet or maybe a season you might have. I have become plunder. I am plunder. It's an identity statement, right? This, they're making an identity statement here. It's also a statement of victimhood. It's one thing to say, I feel like I'm being stolen from. I feel like I'm being used. I feel this way. It's one thing to say that. It's quite another to make it your identity. I am an object to be taken. I have become plunder. I have become plunder. The second statement in this is that there is none to rescue, none to say restore. In other words, there's no hope. I'm not going to change. My circumstances won't change. There's no one who cares. There's no one to rescue me. There's no one to restore me. It's useless. It's hopeless. That's where hopelessness sets in, is when we start coming to the point where we feel like this isn't changing or it won't change. Hopelessness is the root of many, many addictions. Uh, we indulge in a sin that turns into an addiction to numb our feelings of being trapped, our feelings of being hopeless about a specific situation, or maybe just hopeless about our whole life. Is there an area of your life where you feel hopeless? Is there an area of your life where you are declaring this will never change? You may not feel hopeless about it, but there may be something you're very frustrated with that hasn't changed for a long, long time. And you've thought to yourself and you're believing in your heart, this isn't going to change. I'm just stuck here. Uh, Proverbs 13, 12, I think, has been mistranslated. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll unpack that a second. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So we kind of look at that word desire and go, okay, they're juxtaposing desire fulfilled versus not desire fulfilled. And so we translate this verse 
when you don't get what you want for a really long time, it makes your heart sick. But that's actually unbiblical and not true. So that's not what this is saying. It can't be. Uh, the first lesson in adulting is delayed gratification. Right? That's the first thing you have to learn to become an adult is to delay gratification. You can't get what you want the instant that you want it. So adults learn delayed gratification. If we have a desire that is so strong that it makes us sick not to have it, that's called idolatry. That's called idolatry. If we have a desire that we want so bad, it makes us sick when we can't have it. That's idolatry. That is not healthy. That is not what this verse is talking about. Here's another one to prove that that can't be the right translation. Romans 8.24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In other words, before you got married, ladies, you were probably hoping that one day you would get married. So after you got married, were you still hoping that you would get married? No, why not? Because you have what you were hoping for. So the very nature of hope means you don't have it. So that verse, right, hope deferred, it's not talking about a thing that you don't have. A thing that you don't have makes your heart sick. It's actually talking about hope. Hope itself, if you don't have hope in your heart, if it's deferred, if you don't have hope for a season in your heart, you will get sick. You will be unhealthy. I have never met a healthy person that is also hopeless. Have you? Have you ever met anyone that's a healthy person that actually is hopeless? No, you don't. Have you met a hopeless person that is really healthy emotionally? Have you met that? No, it doesn't exist. Because without hope, our hearts do get sick. We do get sick. We have to have hope. Hope means hope. Let's go back to, so I'm in reading Isaiah chapter 42. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to flip it's the very end of Isaiah 42, going into 43. And the Lord says, he's talking about this is who Israel's been. And Isaiah jumps in there and he starts talking about this is how we failed and this is how we've been. And then the Lord says, all right, now then. And you would think, man, they're about to get a spanking. Whenever my grandma would try and discipline me and my cousins, but we knew we were in trouble when our papa had to talk to us, right? When our papa came and said, all right, boys, we'd be like, uh-oh, uh gulp. <laughs> we're in trouble. And you think this is about what is about to happen to Israel. But God says something absolutely incredible. And I think we, without this other negative description, we can't truly appreciate the power of what the Lord says. Isaiah 43, 1. Now then, not only does God not give up on his people, 
He says, now then, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Wait, these are the rebellious, sinful, deaf, blind people that aren't listening to his voice. They're not taking his advice. They're rebelling against him. He's spanking them. And they're still not understanding why they're getting spanked and they're not changing. No discipline is working. These are the people he's talking to. to? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Let's unpack a couple of these things. It says, now then, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you. It's easy to miss this, but Jacob and Israel, they're the same person. We know that, right? Jacob had his name changed to Israel. So by God saying, Jacob, I made you, I formed you, or I created you, and Israel, I formed you, um, Jacob was born. God created Jacob, but Israel was shaped by his circumstances and shaped by his relationship and God's discipline against him because he was a conniver. And then he met a bigger conniver than himself and his father-in-law. And began to realize, man, conniving's not good. This isn't good. I don't want to be that guy. He didn't like his father-in-law. So God is saying, Jacob, I created you. I made you. And Israel, I had my hands on you. What is he saying to us? He's saying, thus says the Lord, no matter how badly you've been doing, even if you're in rebellion and not listening to me, no matter what your opinion is of yourself, I will not stop pursuing you. We sang that song. There's no wall he won't kick down. God wants to kick down a wall this morning of doubt, kick down a wall of fear of abandonment by the Lord, fear of I'm failing too much. I'm not walking in faith, so I deserve punishment, whatever it is. He wants to kick that down. He's saying, I created you. I spoke you into existence. But my hands have been on your life like a lump of clay in a potter's hand. And I am forming you. I am shaping you. Now, some of us let God shape us easier than others. Some of us resist, like Israel resisted. Jacob resisted, and it took a lot of pain for him to change. But that does not change the fact that you were born, you exist because God wanted you, and his hands have been on you, and he has been shaping you and trying to mold you through circumstances, through his discipline, through loving you, through speaking to you. His hands are on you right now in this very moment. It's good news. It's good news. This is the first grounds for which God can say, you are mine. Why are we his? How can he say, you are mine? You're mine. I created you. My hands have been on you since the day you've been born, and I haven't taken them off. I'm still molding and shaping you. That's the first grounds. 
Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, I just love this. I don't have it up here, but he chose us in him. The Father chose us to be in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. You're predestined. I believe in predestination. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, and we're predestined for adoption. That's what I believe we're predestined for. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That's just amazing. The second ground that he can say you are mine is redemption. Redemption. Can you put that verse back up, Isaiah 43, 1? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. This word here in the Hebrew is the same word for the kinsman redeemer. He's basically saying, I have made myself your family. I am your kinsman redeemer. We're family. We're in this together. So he is our redeemer. God not only brought his people out of slavery to Egypt, but he made himself the kinsman redeemer, our next of kin, so to speak. We are his family, and he shoulders the burden of our needs. That's amazing. I am your redeemer, he says. I'm the one who brings you out of bondage. I'm the one who brings you out of slavery, and I've made myself your family member, the only one who can rescue you. The third ground that he can say, you are mine, is this personal relationship between us. He said, I have called you by name. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows all the hair on your head. Even if it's shaved, there's still some there way under. The Lord doesn't have to count very hard with me, but he knows. We are on a first-name basis. He said this. He said these things to a people that don't listen and don't submit and don't obey. He still says we are on a first-name basis. What mercy, what grace, what kindness. It's incredible. The Lord will not abandon his people. I love this verse in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. God will be faithful because his nature and his character is to be faithful. And he cannot become faithless because that would change his character and nature. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful. He will not give up on you, no matter how rebellious. I mean, the, those scriptures we read probably don't even come close to any of us in this room. And God isn't giving up on them. God is saying these promises and these things over them. It's, a, it's incredible. It's amazing. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers... They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. One, he's saying, when you go through trials, which every one of us will, going through hardships, going through trials is not a sign that God has abandoned us. 
He's there with us. We're destined for trials and tribulations. But Jesus has overcome them all. So we will experience them. He's saying, I will be with you. But he's also recounting Israel's past and his past faithfulness to them. When did Israel walk past through waters? The Red Sea. Right? So he's saying, uh, Israel, I have been there. I was there for you when you were crying out and thought you were going to die and there was no way out. I had parted the Red Sea for you, and there I was walking in the middle of your midst right along with you. I delivered you then, and if that circumstance ever comes again, I'm going to be there again. When you pass through the waters, there I am right in the midst of you. Wow, recounting the faithfulness of the Lord. When did they pass through rivers? The Jordan River. I was there. It was at flood stage. It was at flood stage. You weren't getting across. But me, I wanted you to be in your promised land. I wanted you to get what I paid for. I wanted you to fulfill your destiny. And even though this river was at flood stage, and I heaped it up 30 miles upriver, 30 miles away, I heaped up the waters, and there I was walking you across into the promised land. Do you know the name of the city where those waters heaped up? Adam. He heaped up the waters on a man, Jesus, so that we could pass into the promised land. Jordan means death or descender. God heaped up death 30 miles upriver. They couldn't even... They didn't see it. They didn't know how far upriver the water stopped. They couldn't see that far upriver. But they must have heard from everybody in the town of Adam, of man. All the waters just stopped. They heaped up on our town. Death heaped up on a man. And that enabled us to pass into the promised land. Isn't that incredible? Only God can do that. Only he can do that stuff. Because of what Jesus did, death was heaped onto him so that we could get into our promised land. And God is saying, this is who I was for you back then. This is what I've done. I can't deny myself. I'm going to be faithful again. You're going to get into your promised land. Incredible. God is speaking to the future using his past faithfulness as the sure foundation of their hope. As I was, I will be, he is saying. Not remembering what God has done for us. There's another way of saying that, actually, ingratitude. Being ungrateful, being unthankful. It steers our hearts away from reality. When we aren't grateful... When we don't thank the Lord for what he is doing and when we don't thank the Lord for what he has done, when we're not grateful, we actually start getting into deception. We start getting into hopelessness. There is none to rescue. There is none to rescue. 
The quickest way to depression is being ungrateful. If you want to get depressed really fast, just stop being grateful. It will work. It'll happen. So what does thankfulness and gratitude rescue us from? It reorients us to the reality of who God is, who he will be. It gives us faith and hope for our tomorrow. But it keeps depression and hopelessness away from us. The Lord is saying, I'm going to give you a new exodus, a new entrance into the promised land. No one knows exactly this verse in Isaiah when it was written. I personally believe it was written before they went into captivity, but some scholars say maybe not. But when did somebody pass through the fire and not get burned? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I believe it was in the future. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flame will not consume you. The Lord is saying, I will be the fourth man in the fire with you. We're going to have trials. Some of us are worried about the future, like the near future. There could be a lot of stuff to worry about if we want to put our attention there. Or we could just say, God's been faithful. Look at all the miracles he did. What's the problem? Like Paul rejoicing in prison. Or Paul about to maybe be beheaded any day. And he's like, man, I don't know. I'm excited to get out and minister to you, but I'm excited to get my head cut off so I can be with God. I can't lose. (laughs) When we are grateful, when we stay oriented to reality, when we stay oriented on the character and nature of God, we can't be hopeless. It casts out fear. His perfect love casts out fear. For those of you worried about tomorrow, whatever the trial may be, God's going to part the Red Sea for you. He will stop the Jordan. He will be the fourth man in the fire. It doesn't mean there won't be water. It doesn't mean Pharaoh's army won't be there. And it doesn't mean there won't be flames. And it doesn't mean there won't be some king saying bow. He's not taking that away, but he's going to be there in our midst. He's going to be faithful. Verse 3, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba, or Sheba, whatever, in exchange for you. Those were southern regions at the time of, um, of Egypt. He did, actually. God had to make a decision for the most part. Uh, Is it Egypt or Israel? Is it my people or these other people? He loved the Egyptians. He did love them. He didn't want them destroyed. He gave them a chance to repent. But when push came to shove, he said, sorry, my kids are going first. You're his kid. (laughs) He's going to take care of you first before he takes care of people that are not his kids. He loves the whole world, right? He doesn't want to destroy people. He wants everyone to be saved. That is the will of the Lord. But when push comes to shove, it's his kids first. And you're one of them. You go, thank you, daddy. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy can beat up your daddy. 
God again speaks of his past faithfulness, but also his nature. I am your Savior. You know the Lord calls himself that? No one called God Savior before God called himself the Savior. He calls himself the Redeemer. He calls himself the Healer. He calls himself the Provider. He says, this is my nature. This is my character. To say that something is hopeless and that you are trapped is also to say, God is not my rescuer. If God is by nature a Savior, if God is by nature your Redeemer, your kinsman Redeemer, your family, to say that I'm trapped and it's hopeless is to say God is not a rescuer, God is not a Savior. It's to declare there's no one to rescue, there's no one to say, restore. Right? Some of us uh, probably won't say that out loud necessarily, um, or we won't admit it to ourselves, or maybe we're just not honest and that straightforward, but some of us can get into those traps in our minds. We can believe some of those lies that this this particular part of my life is never going to change. And that's simply not true. It's simply not true. It cannot be true and God be God. It cannot be true. But if we keep believing it, keep believing it, keep believing it, the devil can keep us out of the promised land for a long, long time. He can. And God does not want that. Verse 4 and 5, we're going to end here. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. On the Wednesday night equipping nights, we actually unpacked this verse a little bit because we were talking about honor and how it's very, very connected and foundational to worship. And there's two words for honor here. Because you are precious in my eyes. That word means to be heavy or to make rare or to be a prize. The Lord says, in my mind, in my heart, my valuation is to put a valuation on something. So gold is heavy, right? Gold is heavy. Think about gold. In my eyes, you are valuable. In my eyes, you are rare. In my eyes, you are my treasure. We actually, we sang that song as well. Some lyrics in that song. Purify my heart. Make me as, how does it go? Make me as gold and precious silver. Something like that. Make me as that. And you know what all I could think? God has made us that in his heart. Your heart may not be pure, but in God's eyes, you are precious and rare and valuable because that's his opinion of you. That's what he thinks of you. That's his price that he has set on you. You are precious. Because you are precious in my eyes. So it doesn't matter what opinion you have of yourself. You may think you're a lousy, good-for-nothing, worthless dirtbag, whatever. I don't know. 
it doesn't matter. It doesn't change God's valuation of you. We were to read the end of Isaiah 42 again, the description of what the Israelites were like and what they were doing and how they were behaving. We would think, man, these people, they're, they're not worth very much. But God is speaking to those people and saying, you are so precious. You are so valuable to me. You're my treasure. Because you are precious in my eyes. The word is yakar in the Hebrew. To be valuable and honored. You know what that word is? Kavod. Glory. Same word for God's glory. Same exact word. means to be heavy. As in priceless, precious, valuable. Because you are yakar. Valuable. And because you are kavod, glorious, glorious, you're precious and glorious in my eyes, and I love you. That's amazing. Say, I'm glorious. To the Lord you are. That's amazing. I'm glorious. You may not be behaving gloriously, <laughs> right? You may m- not be acting or thinking preciously. But here's some other people that weren't either. And God said, you're precious and you're glorious and I love you. And because of that, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. So again, going back to God, Egypt and Israel, he made a choice, and it was his people first. But this word for men is guess what word? Adam, Adam, same word as the river. This could be translated, and I give a man in exchange for your life. Because you're precious and you're glorious and I love you. I give a man in exchange for your life. Fear not. I am with you. Fear not. I am with you. Isn't that good news? It's incredible. It's amazing. Before the foundation of the world, God thought of this stuff. Before he even breathed anything into existence, he saw you. And whatever sins you were going to make, whatever rebellion you were going to have, whatever stubbornness, whatever laziness, or whatever, whatever, lack of affection back towards him, he still said, yeah. <laughs> they're valuable and precious and I'm going to give my life for them because I love them. It's not going to change. Ever. It's not going to change. So let's do this. If you would stand up with me. I just want to, I want to take a couple minutes to just make some confession. Okay. 
We talked a little bit about hopefully how not to get into depression (laughs) or hopelessness, or if you're in it, how to get out of it, or how to help other people get out of it too. And a giant key is thankfulness. It's thankfulness. So I just want to make some confessions. Lord, you have been faithful. Lord, you have been faithful. That's where we're going to start. So I just want to give you literally probably 15 seconds or 20 seconds. You can just under your breath. I just want you to tell the Lord, God, this is where you've been faithful in my life. Okay, can we do that? Is that all right? Okay, go. You have been faithful, and I am grateful. You have been faithful, and I am grateful. Just start telling the Lord what you're grateful for. It doesn't matter what it is, anything that you're actually really, truly grateful for. If you don't have anything that you can think of right away, this message is definitely for you. (laughs) So start now. You have been faithful. I am grateful. You think I'm beautiful. (laughs) It's good to remind yourself. You think I'm beautiful. So just look in the Lord's eyes and say, wow, God, you think I'm glorious. You think I'm beautiful. That's amazing. That's a true assessment of you. You're beautiful. I'm beautiful in your eyes, Lord. You've been faithful. I am grateful. You think I'm beautiful. My future is wonderful. (laughs) I could think of maybe some more accurate words, but wonderful rhymed with all the rest of them. But it's also true. Right? We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Whether it's prison or death or anything, the Lord is with us. His love can't be taken from us. It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change our value. We win no matter what. We can't not lose. He already guaranteed the victory because we're already seated in Christ Jesus. So our future is wonderful. It has some trials, but we're going to overcome. It is wonderful. You have been faithful. Just repeat these after me. You have been faithful. I am grateful. You think I'm beautiful, and my future is wonderful. Can we say that one more time? Okay. You have been faithful, and I am grateful. You think I'm beautiful. My future is wonderful. Romans 15, yes, good news right there. Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
Amen? Amen. I bless you to abound in hope in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. I want to ask some of the leaders to come up and just, uh, we want to be available for anyone that needs prayer for healing, uh, prayer for deliverance, ministry, whatever it is. Love you guys. The Lord loves you. You're beautiful.